Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello and welcome to Boarding Party brought to you by Sci-Fi Wire. I am your host, Jackie Jennings. And I'm very excited for today's episode. You guys know the drill by now. We talk to today's funniest comedians about their geek obsessions. And today I am talking to Sal Gentili, who is the supervising writer of A Closer Look on Late Night with Seth Meyers. If you're not familiar with A Closer Look, I highly, highly suggest checking it out. It's very, very funny, very informative. And I'm not just saying that because he's also my husband, which I feel like, full disclosure, I have to say, we do reference it in the podcast, and I want to be upfront. I want to be clear. I don't want to be seen as hiding anything. So we are, in fact, married. So when he references our home, he is talking about the home that we share, that we both live in. So everyone move forward in this podcast knowing that information. Okay, so that's all. That's, that's the first disclaimer we've ever had to do, and I really hope it's the last Um, because it was hard for everyone to hear that truth. Hey, Sal. Hello. Thanks so much for doing this. There's a lot that we could talk about. We'll get to most of it. But first, I think I've asked everyone this question first. Do you consider yourself a geek? Would you call yourself a nerd a geek? Is that like, would you self-identify? Yes, I would firmly say that. Okay. I I would de- I would definitively say that. Okay. Like the things that take up the most space in our house are my yes. comic book collection and board games. So yes. I would say that qualifies. If you look at the square footage of the things that are just mm-hmm. literally occupying the most space in your house and the top 2 are comic books <laughs> and board games, then you're probably a geek or a nerd. I never thought of it in those terms that, yeah, I thought you were going to say what takes up the most space in your mind, but the most physical space is taken up by, yeah, board games and comics. Well, isn't there an interesting connection there? I know. Wow. What what takes up the most space emotionally and mentally, it manifests itself physically as well. Or does it? Hmm. And isn't that the philosophical question of our time? It might be, especially in like, in this age of digital media where, yeah. you know, you could be a movie buff and not own a single. Well, I don't know, actually, because I do think people who would consider themselves music or. Right. They, so they would have physical media. So maybe the, tr- the, the connection oh between the physical and the emotional is changing oh my in God. irrevocable ways that are changing human beings and their interaction with their environment around them. Think about that. I can't. What? If, okay. Well, here's <laughs> you can't. Why? I can't because it's like asking someone to contemplate the size of the universe. My physical space and my emotional. That means I don't really have any interests because what takes up space in our apartment? I mean, the board games are an interest of mine. Yeah. As well. But what I'm saying is maybe the linkage is broken now. The things that we cherish physically mm. have always for so long been artifacts of ourselves, but maybe the oh artifacts god. are now contained within us. Oh my god. They're and digital. Isn't, and isn't this conversation 
the definition of being a geek or a nerd. Yeah. I think if if you had said no and we had this conversation, you'd be there we'd now. Have to, we'd have to revise <laughs> have the to revise it. Um, okay. So a geek for, obviously, I know you had a, a childhood and adulthood, lifelong uh, love of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Also, not now, but also had a lot of literal physical, because my exposure to Star Trek was literally through VHSs that an uncle of mine who lived with us for a couple yes. of years would bring over and had like written labels of yeah. him that he had recorded himself from TV. And so also another had physically stacks of VHSs. Yeah. So we would go to 7-Eleven mm-hmm. um, and he would buy us like all kinds of junk food. Great. And we would that would be like our big outing for the for the night. Like if my parents were doing something and like he because he lived with us for a while. Mm-hmm. So he was in charge of watching us. He'd be like, OK, I know what we're going to do. And we'd go to 7-Eleven and buy like Twizzlers and like <laughs> slushies and stuff. And then we would just like rip our way through like hours of Star Trek on VHS the next generation in particular oh. specifically yeah and th- that was at a time when you had to to binge watch anything you had to do some legwork first yeah. you couldn't mm-hmm. just turn on uh where Star Trek is on Netflix you couldn't just turn on Netflix yeah, and, now of course you can, yeah you know. and also without him so without access to those VHSs I had to you obviously again this sounds so quaint to say but it's just not the case anymore whereas like you had to figure out when star trek the next generation repeats were on yeah and so they had to be on like were they on picks well it's not picks where it was, was it picks at the time? um uh or upn uh and but they would literally be i would i would beg my mom to let me stay up until because that like on a you know a star trek the next generation repeat sometimes it would be on at like 1 a.m on a, yeah. on a wednesday and so i would beg or i would secretly try to stay up in my room with that with my little tv and watch it <laughs> one time i one time i got in trouble because we were getting dropped off we were coming back from like a uh i think it was a hockey game or something like that that we went to with friends in in the neighborhood and my dad brought us and the friends we got we were getting home late and uh there was they said something like oh our mom is going to let us stay like because our, our dad had to work late so mm-hmm. we're going to stay up to see our dad and i was like oh, they can stay up to wait for their dad but i can't stay up to watch star trek the next generation <laughs> and i got like upset and they were like he they're waiting to see their father okay and you're you just want to watch uh, you know, data get an emotion chip implanted <laughs> in his neural network. Now may be the appropriate time. Thought you were worried about it overloading your neural net. That is true. However, I believe my growth as an artificial life form has reached an impasse. For 34 years, I have endeavored to become more human, to grow beyond my original programming. Still, I am unable to grasp such a basic concept as humor. This emotion chip may be the only answer. But I want to talk about your obsession. Well, I won't say obsession, but your your love of, your interest in Batman. I think obsession is fair. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't want to put that on you and call it an obsession, but... You're not putting it on me. It's I've put it on myself. That's what it... You're fine. just accurately describing it. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Batman. Yeah backing up a little bit you you do collect 
comics. Yes. As you said, mm-hmm. it does take up some square footage. Yes. Less now, but less now. I, I've become less obsessive about it. I went through a period of time where I was very obsessive yes. about it. There was so a we period of several time boxes. We were getting mail from, I remember one package from the UK that had yeah. so much postage on mm-hmm. it. A text, a that is a text's only story that Alan Moore wrote in a UK annual about Batman tracking down the gun that killed his parents. Well, I was more obsessed with the fact that this person put an amount of postage on it that couldn't have been necessary. That's funny that that's the thing you remember. I don't even remember how much postage was on it. Well, I used to work for that lawyer who was obsessive over my high school summer job who would obsess over postage, who would make us like scrape stamps off of used envelopes and try and use them again. He was obsessed. So it's a pet okay. peeve when it's like, weigh the package and yeah. do the precise anyway. <laughs> okay. So you have an eagle eye for the amount of postage that's on something. Yes. I can do the connoisseur. ounce. Yeah. Do the ounce. Mm-hmm. Tell you how many right. stamps you need. So that, so you remember I ordered on yes. eBay this UK annual. The UK annuals are different from annuals here in the United States. Like an, it's just, an annual here is just like another, an extra edition essentially, like mm-hmm. another standalone comic that's in the series. A UK annual is like a big hardcover um, uh, uh, edition. And in this particular case, this UK annual had a ju- only text, no illustration, uh, uh, story about Batman written by Alan Moore, uh, about, uh, Batman tracking down the gun that, uh, killed his parents. And I ordered that off of eBay. Yes. I ordered, I was ordering a lot of stuff off yeah. of eBay and that was one of them. I mean, that is very cool. Yeah, it is a very cool thing. Yeah. Thank you do you for think- finally saying No, it. I do. I've always I thought it was cool. Oh, have you? Yeah. I've always thought it was funny. Cool. This is the first we're hearing of it. I think it's cool. I think it's so cool. Was it worth fifty dollars in postage? No, <laughs> but it was cool. Yeah. Um. Would you say that that is your most the the piece in your collection that you're most proud of or excited about? Like, is there one thing that you have that you would consider your favorite? I guess that is interesting and is so difficult for me to answer Pro- it's it's definitely among the rarest things and the mm-hmm. most difficult to find that i have i'll have a lot of things that are easy somewhat easy to find but they're important to me yeah like when i first started collecting i tracked down all of the individual issues in the year one uh story that frank mm-hmm. miller wrote which is not that difficult to find it's not easy, like, but you could buy them all on eBay. But I, I also had this weird rule where I did for a while until I was started buying stuff on eBay. But even that, I didn't want to become like, a, I didn't want to go down the eBay uh, hole sure. because that's dangerous. So I was trying to restrict myself to literally only finding something in a comic book store. Oh, I didn't know this. Yeah, do you? Well, I well, mean, I, no, I, I remember, you remember me you, going to literally every store in in New York. But City. I didn't know that it was to sort of limit yourself from. Do you, did you, was it like a financial thing where you were like, I can't start spending like 40 bucks a pop on eBay? Or was it like, this is the satisfying way to collect comics? It was both. Yeah. So um, it felt a little less satisfying to me to just like find something on eBay and buy it. It's a way to get yourself into comic book stores you haven't been to in different parts. I was also using it as a way to go to different parts of the city for a while. Yeah. I remember. I went yeah. into like deep. So I like rode my bike to like um, like Bay Ridge or something to a yes. comic book store, um, uh, the one, one in Astoria, mm-hmm. um, 
And uh, it's cool. Like you find, like I went into the one in Astoria, Silver Age Comics. I hope mm-hmm. it's still there. I haven't been in there in a couple of years. Yeah. But, and I just went in and I asked, because I, you, first, the, the most fun thing to do is just sift through the boxes of like random back issues. That's how you find random stuff that you've never heard of before. Um, and you just like look at the cover or who wrote it or whatever. And you buy something for like a dollar and then you read it and you discover something insane. And which has happened. I've I've bought stuff for like 50 cents and read read it. And it's like, it's uh like an example of that for example i actually looked it up before i came here because i remembered it when i was thinking about like like issues that are particularly important to me there is an issue uh that i randomly found uh in a box uh at a store that is about um uh from this series batman gotham knights Mm -hmm. uh which was supposed to be like the idea of that story that that series was supposed to be like it would be about like batman's friends and like the cat the the broader cast Mm. and so it was kind of lighter in some in some issues were kind of lighter and this particular issue batman is in the bat cave and he kind of realizes that nothing's going on like nothing (laughs) is happening like he's checking like uh you know what he usually checks in his computer or whatever like and there's really no like crime that night. <laughs> he's just, just like, Ugh. yeah. He keeps it's a long saying, night. he's just like, there's like a great, there's a great sequence where he's just talking and he's like, quiet night, and he's like, uh, not much going on. And he's like, what do you think? And then the next, and then you turn the page, and the next box box is just a bat shrieking, and then Batman's like, yeah, that's what I thought too. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just talking to himself in this bat cave, and then he. To, to, because he's so lonely he keeps calling people that he like and coming up with excuses to talk to them so first he calls aquaman <laughs> at justice league headquarters uh and uh and uh and then uh he's kind of terse with aquaman like aquaman tries to ask him questions and he's like typical batman like he doesn't want to like share any details is aquaman like, ever like you called me bruce well, yeah that <laughs> happens in the issue so he then hangs so Aquaman hangs up on him because he's like terse and then he's calling Oracle and Oracle's like he's like did you do any re- uh, recon on that you know uh, whatever like uh, you know the warehouse we were looking at or something and Oracle's like yeah nothing yet and then she's like hangs up and then he calls back he's like uh, what a, did you try uh, you know s- sending a, a, this, did you try this frequency or whatever and she's like uh, no no give that a shot and then she calls back and uh, and uh, and then Dick Grayson is there because they're like going out and he's like Stop calling. <laughs> and Batman's like, all right, fine. Sorry. Uh, and then Aquaman calls back. And then the the, the end of the story is that uh, Batman comes up with an excuse to get Aquaman to come over, which is that he asks him to help um, fish his giant penny out of the out of the chasm in the Batman this cave. This, this is a real story. So he's like, funny. I need your help because it's like kind of stuck in the water. And uh, and because <laughs> first he's like, I need your strength. And Aquaman's like, Can you just call Superman to come get this penny out of the? <laughs> call Su- Aquaman's like, uh, Dude, call Superman. Yeah, yeah. He's and then he's like, If you want strength, call Superman. He's like, No, it's uh, it's in the water. <laughs> So then Aquaman's like, all right, fine, I'll be over there. And then <laughs> oh, he no. teleports over because like there's a teleporter in the bat in the bat cave in this in this uh version. And then Aquaman uh and so then Aquaman comes over and he tries to get the fish the penny out. And then so this Batman's just insane. like hanging out. There's he's hanging out in the bat cave, uh Aquaman's down in like the chasm. There had been like an earthquake recently in this like uh timeline. And uh and then um 
And then Aquaman just comes back up and Batman's like, what about the penny? And Aquaman's like, I can't get it out. He's like, but I think, yeah, I can't get the giant penny out. But he's like, I think you knew that. And then it literally ends with Aquaman saying to Batman, man, next time if you want to just call me up and ask me to bring a few beers over, I will. (laughs) And then that's how the story ends. And I just found that from sifting through boxes uh, of back issues. Funny. And uh, actually, it also has a backup story. A, uh, a, which is a, a a black Batman Black and White, which is a very popular series written by Dave Gibbons, who oh, yeah. uh, who obvi- who of course worked on Watchmen and many mm-hmm. other famous, well known titles that you would know with Alan Moore. Um, and that's the backup story. Like Dave Gibbons' black this Black and White Batman story is the backup story <laughs> to this main story about Batman's Batman bored. Batman being bored and like calling people. <laughs> oh, that's so. Yes. So that is why I would restrict myself to going to comic book stores because you would go to random places that you wouldn't normally have been if you were just like ordering a ton of stuff on eBay. So to answer the original question, so like that's how I, you know, I would get like the original, uh, the the, the first, uh, the first prints of all the issues that were in like year one, which is a four parts, which is originally a four part story before it was collected on trade paperback. So like stuff like that is valuable to me especially because those were the earliest stories that had made the biggest impression on me like year one and that kind of thing and so collecting the first prints of the original issues even though they're not massively valuable was was cool um but in terms of like the rarest thing it would probably be that alan moore tech yeah. story in that uk annual so do you think that you have insight into why you love Batman. Like if you if you had to distill it down to, you know, oh, it's because of this. Is it that simple? Is it because, well, it was just a time in my life when I discovered it was like a formative time in my life. And so now I love it. Or is there something about the character that speaks to you? I mean, definitely both of those things are probably true for everybody who loves. Totally. But so um, formative time, I essentially discovered it I did not discover Batman through comic books. I discovered it through Batman through a way the way a lot of uh, people my age probably discovered him, which is through the animated series. Mm-hmm. Now, when you watched the animated series, did you have an awareness of Mark Hamill? I was probably too young to realize or, that okay. it was that Just it was curious. Mark Hamill. If that was like piqued your interest, yeah. Like, obviously, oh my God, in retrospect, I, I learned. Obviously, but in that retro- wasn't a part of it. I don't. Th- I was too. I was too. Yeah. I was like in middle school when I was yeah, watching yeah. it, so I don't think I realized at the time, sure, or made the connect. Because you know, obviously, also I wasn't like going online, you know, looking up like yeah. uh, the IMDb. So I, I don't think I even realized it yeah. while I was yeah. watching. It doesn't it. sound like it. Makes yeah, sense. I think definitely at some point, like talking to friends or somebody, somebody obviously, like you, somebody was like, you know, that that's that's the guy that's that's Luke Skywalker who does sure, the voice of the Joker. But when like when watching, I first just started watching yeah. on TV, I don't think I realized you're watching it. Batman. Yeah. Um, but obviously that was very formative. Um, and uh, and also just like legitimately, obviously, for people who know the series, reinvented a lot of the characters in ways that are still lasting and created new ones. Mm-hmm. Harley Quinn is the most famous example. Sure. I tried to play by the rules, but no, they wouldn't let me go straight. Society is to blame. Back off, rich boy. I'm armed. And uh, but then also like I love the character because for the reasons that many people would say, which is psychologically tortured, traumatic person, (laughs) this insane man who he's he's a fully insane. He's a he is a superhero who's essentially fully insane. Yeah. Like and uh, deeply psychologically traumatized and uh, obviously has no inherent superpowers and is just a man who decides to take up this fully insane um, 
uh, mantle of becoming a self-appointed plutocrat vigilante. And that's the other thing that I find fascinating about Batman, which is that he's not somebody you can just like unreservedly root for all the time. Like he's a complicated character. That's what I love about He's also Batman is also essentially like American mythology. Like he has been reinvented in so many different yeah. ways that people can reimagine him in so many different ways. Um, and there's been every iteration of Batman that you can possibly think of. And this is one actually one of the coolest things that Tom King, when he came on on the show, he talked about with us in the podcast afterward when he took over Batman. We were talking about like how do you just like is an intimidating take on a character like Batman, and he was like, yeah. One of the most intimidating things is that basically everything you can think of with Batman has been done already. Yeah. And when he took over from Scott Snyder, he told this really fun story about how they were like, um, got together and they just tried to name things that they thought hadn't been done with Batman yet. And they would name something and one of them would be like, done. They'd be like, you know, they would be like, uh, has Gordon been Batman? Done. Like, has this person been Batman? (laughs) Done. Did Batman die in this way? Done. Like, Batman came (laughs) back to life this way? Done. Done. (laughs) So all of those are, are reasons why I love the character. Batman is poised, I think, because of his lack of superpowers, which in across like DC and Marvel is pretty anomalous for for both. He is poised to, uh, whereas you've got X-Men or the Avengers who are asking, obviously are interested in their own sets of questions, yeah. that their allegories, Batman, there's not really... Batman isn't allegorical. He's asking real questions about money and power and who gets to decide right and wrong. He like I think one of the most interesting things about Batman is he could happen. It's not it's it's a stretch, but it's not a stretch right. in the way that Superman is or Aquaman is. Right. He's entirely possible sure. in our world. Yeah. He's Elon Musk is like, you know, <laughs> just a couple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like That's he's right. he's like one conscience and a couple yeah. inventions away from you know being Batman. Right. Um and I guess the trauma. Yeah, okay. So there's some hurdles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's not him. Yeah. But yeah, or how about Richard Branson? I suspect the um most notable failure has been uh, not knocking Coca-Cola off their pedestal, and we were out selling Pepsi. I then got a bit too big for my boots, and I arrived in Times Square with a Sherman tank from Britain. I crushed all these Coke, Coca-Cola um, and Pepsi uh, cans. You know, cola was flying everywhere. And um, I then turned our Sherman tank's turret onto the Coca-Cola sign in the middle of Times Square. Uh, anyway, Coke didn't take that too kindly. <laughs> I do want to talk to you about the Nolan Batman yeah. movies. Because mm-hmm. uh, I know, well, would you, in for you, do they rank above the Tim Burton uh, Batman? Uh, my favorite movies, literally just picking movies, yeah, I would pick the, the Nolan trilogy. The Nolan trilogy. Me, yeah. And I have my own opinions, but wh- why do you think they're so good? Why do you like them? Defend... <laughs> Defend, defend, defend these ma- defend. this massively popular movie franchise. Yeah, you know, um, aside from critical acclaim, box office success, <laughs> sort of lasting popularity, why do you think they're good? <laughs> <laughs> they just are movies that explore themes and ideas and yeah. is the simplest way I could put it, which is yeah. like they have ambitions beyond just being like uh, um, superhero movies. Uh which is not nothing wrong in itself. Like also just a good superhero movie can be a good superhero movie and it can be enjoyable in that way. But those movies in particular just have like ideas at their core. 
first of all, what the idea of a Batman figure means, as we were discussing earlier, what the implications are of a person like that existing in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the entire second movie, for example, they've said the theme is essentially escalation. Yeah. So what happens when a Batman figure exists in the world? How do people respond to a Batman figure existing in the world? I am a ma- a very unpopular opinion I have that I get a ca- attacked for constantly oh is God. that I say that the third movie is my favorite. Let's not stand on ceremony here, Mr. Wayne. I just think the idea of a superhero movie, which I'm spelling out a reason why people don't like it, but I think the idea of a superhero movie where the superhero is basically not in most of it is crazy. And it's is interesting. so so fascinating. It's yeah. such a... Such an amazing, such an, it's just an an incredible idea that somebody would make a movie like that. And obviously people, a lot of people feel like when you go see a superhero movie, they want to see the superhero do stuff. Yeah, (laughs) not to see him lay in a cave. So they're kind of bummed that like the middle third of the movie has no Batman in it. um, And it's just like him with his back broken in a cave. Also, I I love the Nightfall. We didn't, we didn't get, oh, that was another one we didn't get to talk about, Nightfall, which obviously influenced the third one the well, nightfall story arc with bane breaking breaking, yeah, breaking Batman's back. Bat. that's one i've collected the issues of as well did not know that yes i have the did which not again are not i don't think are super valuable home. but i have yeah i have the one where batman uh, where bane breaks batman actually maybe back i've on, seen on that cover. i think maybe you, yeah we i think that. maybe we looked at that when the third one came out because it's almost they really recreated almost like panel total side panel. note my favorite one of my favorite uh uh um the one of my another one of my favorite things about Batman, one of the things I love about it is he has Hit some it. of the dumbest minor villains ever. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. and one of them that's yeah. featured in Nightfall is my favorite dumb villain. And his name is Film Freak. <laughs> right. And he's just like oh. And he's like essentially a dumb henchman who his thing, his gimmick is that he reenacts kills from movies <laughs> right. and he does things in movies. And in Nightfall, one of the funniest side plot lines in Nightfall is that when Bainfurts gets to Gotham, the Mad Hatter uses Film Freak to go spy on him and he like puts a, like a mind control device in him or something like that and he like makes him go spy on Bane and Bane discovers him and kills him like instantly <laughs> like literally just like chokes him out and kills him like and, and poor film freak poor film <laughs> he has freak. like i think he wears like earrings that are film canisters yeah, he like that he right. like loves movies and killing people that's like his two <laughs> things oh yeah i'm almost on his side almost yeah i am um, some just jumping back to dark knight rises something that i think we were talking about themes where i think a lot of superhero movies sometimes drop the ball in my opinion, Mm -hmm. is that they set up really provocative themes and the conclusion is always, we're not really going to decide. Like, we're going to, I won't name names, but uh, there is, let's just say, um, a movie called The the Get 'em Backers, colon, Internal Conflict. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) I'm talking about Civil War, Avengers Civil War. Oh, (laughs) The Get 'em Backers? The Get 'em Avenge. Get them backers. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Try to keep up here. <laughs> the I'm get them back. The no, Avengers. That's definitely my fault. The off-brand Avengers or the get them backers. <laughs> Look, I think it's a fun movie, but I do think that sometimes those movies take a pass. They set up an interesting right. They set up an interesting political yes. or philosophical question, but then they don't really like. They don't tackle really answer it, it. and yeah. I think. They just the, use it as like a plot device. Or yeah, whatever. and something recognizable that we're all like, oh yeah, yeah like government power versus this sort of, you yeah. know, extra government. Because that is also a fascinating thing. It's That's really a great storyline in the actual um, comics. Yeah, it's great. Okay, so this is going to lead us into our break. Mm-hmm. But how do you square your love of Batman with his abuse of capitalism? <laughs> well, this is, but I don't square it. I think 
the the implications of the character mm-hmm. are fascinating. Like I think a self-appointed plutocrat vigilante who decides that because he's wealthy and has the resources to do this, he gets essentially to operate outside of the system and decide right and wrong and enforce mm-hmm. it. That's not something I would obviously ever think is good for society. And I think the implications of a character like that are fascinating. Um, and I think the the comics that explore those implications are fascinating. But that's what makes him a fascinating character as opposed to just someone who's just like purely good. He is like deeply complicated. So you reject the premise of the question. Well, I don't. It's not that I have to, to square it. Way. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I am. That's right. I think I'm. I'm pulling a CJ on Batman on the question of Batman's uh, <laughs> capitalism. But, but I think that's what makes the character fascinating uh, and complex. He's not purely good. You can't constantly. Uh, you can't unreservedly root for him in every situation. You have. Yeah. He he makes you ask questions. Love it. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, we're going to take a quick break, and then mm-hmm. when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about your work at Late Night and Mm -hmm. how you guys incorporate comics and comic books there. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So, Sal, you are the Closer Look supervising writer at Late Night with Seth Meyers. Yes. And we could talk about that, but we're not going to. (laughs) No, no no reason to. You at Late Night, something that kind of sets you guys apart, I think, is that you have comic book writers on the show. Yeah. Obviously, there's several people on staff, including Seth, who have uh, a pretty serious interest in comics. So, can you just talk about, like... When and who makes the decision to include those people as guests? Just talk a little bit about including comic books in a late night show. Because I don't think it's the most intuitive thing, but it works. No, totally. It's very cool that we've essentially become known as the show that um, that is sort of the, the place to go for comic book uh, uh, author guests. Yeah, um, the only one, I think. I think, you know, it comes from Seth. Seth loves comics. There's a lot of people who love, com- uh, you know, obviously... Um, the, our, our show producer, Mike Shoemaker, also loves comic, has written a couple mm-hmm. of them. Seth has written comics as well. Uh, Seth wrote a very funny um, Spider-Man story with Bill Hader. Mm-hmm. Shoe, Mike Shoemaker, has also written a bunch of uh, uh, issues for DC. I didn't know that. that yeah, written- Shoe's written some comics as well. That's so cool. Yeah. There's just people who love comics, and whenever we can find the, the space for them on the show, we do. And we've had a bunch of awesome people. Um, you know, I mentioned before Grant Morrison, Tom right. King. Um, uh, Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, mm-hmm. we've uh, had so many. We've had a we've had a bunch of them. Uh, Alex Ross. That was really cool. You know, it's really cool to have people on who don't do a lot of like late night talk shows, mm-hmm. as opposed to people who make the rounds constantly. Because you know they're um they're just like really excited and uh and um it's cool to hear from a different perspective. It's also one of the uh, benefits of having a show that's as long and has as many 
has much has as much space as our show, which is that we have several acts for interviews. So of course we're going to have people on. Um, we're going to have uh, celebrities and so forth. Um, but you know, we also have space for authors, uh, both of uh, um, uh, authors of uh, of traditional novels or journalists or whatever, and then also comic book writers. So um, yeah, it just comes from Seth uh, and the show being super interested in having those people on. Okay, so I was joking before when I said we weren't going to talk about a closer look. You're writing what you write for the show is steeped in politics and current events. Yeah. Do you think that the world would benefit from a Batman or suffer from a Batman? I would. That, that is a very good question. Thank I you. I would. Thank you. A, a fantastic question. Excellent. Thank you. Oh, so well designed and written and executed. Guess what? And it wasn't top even to written. bottom. It wasn't even written. It wasn't off the top of your head. Extemporaneous. You must be joking. I'm not. I really didn't write it down. <laughs> and that's on me. Oh, wow. I didn't write it. down. Oh, OK. Thank you. Um, Answer. <laughs> answer now shut up and answer <laughs> that's always always the best interviewers always mm-hmm. demand well i've seen seth do it where he asks a question and if the person laughs he goes answer me <laughs> <laughs> um what question did you just oh is batman good ah! for, for the world I we guess. just talked about how well, good we, a- we riffed yes. we went on would a, a batman, riff. Yeah. would a batman help or hurt the world today an american batman so I think, <laughs> okay, I don't know why it's just funny to say, no European Batman, I don't okay? want no British Batman. I don't want no Australian Batman, all right? I want an American Batman. Well, because think about it, a Batman from any other country, well, I guess he's a, he's pretty localized. Batman is sort of dealing with, he's very specific to Gotham. Well, he's, you know, he, he travels. There's definitely That's issues true. where he gets around and goes That's to true. Europe and stuff. Okay, you know? so we're an Ameri- Batman, yeah. an American Batman. An American Batman. There's a whole Justice America. League Europe, you know, and there's like a whole, there's whole stories about right. that. So, well, that, so thank yeah. you. He I specified. Right. He, he has, he, he's got, the tech, he's got the means to get Not around the world. Not a Parisian Batman. <laughs> no Paris Batman. No, no, no. Um, I think ultimately, of course, a, a, a massively wealthy, uh, plutocrat who appointed himself as a vigilante mm-hmm. who just decided that he could beat people up on the streets mm-hmm. to enforce the law by himself would not be a good thing well um, when you say it like that <laughs> when you say it like exactly not something what I, it is I, it's not something i would definitely sure yeah it depends i mean but he works with the police right he's not entirely uh operating in a vacuum although mm, i mean how much control does the Gotham PD have? They have no Batman? control. Over they him. have none. They do not <laughs> they have, have control. Absolutely over him. none. Yes, of course. Yes, he works with the police department. But even so, I don't. I think the abuses that are inherent to something like that are not necessarily something that would be good yeah. um, for society. So I would not. I would not want that. Okay. Um, well, here's the second question. In fact, if anything, I wouldn't want yet. somebody to have that much money just in general. That's true. I would want that money to be redistributed. That's in the true. Way. <laughs> you reject the concept of a Wayne family. Yes. Yeah. That's, right. that's fair. So do I. But we have those rich people now, so right. that's a real thing that exists in society. But I would like, I would like that money to be uh, distributed yeah. more effectively. Yeah, I guess when I think of any one of these sort of massively, massively wealthy people in this country deciding that they are going to fight crime on their own terms, I'm like, yeah, yeah that, I don't when want you put that. It like that. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, that's not a good that's thing. That's not exactly what yeah. I'd like to have mm-hmm. happen. An American Joker, good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> um. I know, but you know, I do think uh, the the idea of like an Australian Joker could be Thank very you. fun, or a European Joker. Oh my God, a Parisian Joker! Yeah, <laughs> a British. Yeah, where yeah. were the funniest Joker? I think 
maybe what's what's a sort of like languid European country yeah. where Joker's just like. Uh, he doesn't actually commit crimes. Yeah. He's more just like a sort of fun personality that you see yes. on the streets. Of well, like I think a Parisian Lisbon Joker is or a something mime, like that, right? A Parisian yeah, Joker that's is a probably mime. What we're, th- we're just thinking of a mime. <laughs> he's It'd be just, fun for he's just like a really yeah, rude mime. We're, what we're just thinking is okay. Is kind, yes, <laughs> a mime who's kind of like a dick to you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, we don't want those things to exist in real life. Yes. We didn't even touch on the Joker. We don't. I don't know that we have time. But I'll just throw that because. Obviously, he's the most iconic mm-hmm. uh, Batman villain foil. Who Who is your iconic Joker? Who's we're, my... we're totally away from a closer look now. Yeah, I know. I've, We've I've, gone back to I the, know. Yeah. I know. Well, we're taking, but in a way, are we not taking? A closer look. <laughs> Thank oh, you. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But I do um, want to know, your yeah. iconic Joker. That'll be my last cue. Answer. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say... Again, it's a tough call. Mm-hmm. All there have been so many great portrayals of the Joker. Obviously, um, Heath Ledger's performance is, is incredible, indelible in film forever, and Jack Nicholson's is, is is was incredibly formative. Maybe I would pick Mark Hamill. Yeah. Here's the deal. I'll let you off if you promise to do a little favor for me. Oh, okay. What? I don't know. I haven't thought of it yet. Sal, thanks so much for being here. Uh, I think we all learned a lot about you. We learned a lot about Batman. And we learned a lot about ourselves. Yeah. So, guys, this has been Boarding Party. If you like what you heard, you can download, subscribe on iTunes, on Google Play, on Spotify, on Windows Media Player. Not that one. That last one is fake. But anywhere you get your podcasts, you can subscribe, you can download Thanks for listening and see you next Wednesday.